Andy, what's today's bit? Hello and welcome into Sower Andrews. I am Andrew Laird. You can find me as Lairdino on Sower. Joined today by Andy Black, who didn't come up with a bit today, and Nashi, who was actually, I will say this, was part of the bit, and Andy didn't do his homework. I didn't. I didn't. Oh, Andy, do you want me to go into details? Uh, yes. Yes, I do. Okay. <laughs> I was going to print out a picture and put it on a popsicle stick of Jizzhorn Camp because... I changed my Discord picture to Jizzhorn Camp, and people keep saying that he looks like Nashy. <laughs> so I thought it would be funny to, to do that. But I'm also very anti-print. I'm part of the green initiative um, on this planet, and I didn't want to waste paper. So that's that's why I didn't print it out. Yeah, when, um, when Laird sent over, he was looking for a picture for the thumbnail, and all he sent was, can you please just send the Jizz pic? You know, I mean, I think I hope my wife doesn't doesn't uh, hack into the phone. It's going to get a little weird. I would love to say that didn't happen, but that is exactly what happened. Um, <laughs> thanks, everyone, for joining. Oh, man, we are off to a flying start today. It's Gusto, Ben Johnson, and so rare CEO Nicola himself. First podium, hopefully the SO5 one will follow. Appreciate this. Philly Dilly, so rare. The way it was always meant to be with everyone hyped for Major League Soccer. That's it. Uh, Mike Basson, what's up? Eric, uh, would you guys pronounce this Doherty or Doherty? Dortry. Okay. Thank you very much for, for participating, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Uh, Kev heard, yes, there will be an Mbappe unique watch at the end of this show. We decided not to do a full one because I'm going to actually explain why we're not doing a full one. Mm. They suck now. The max bid has killed the excitement. And I think the days of taking a single auction, regardless of who it is, and just being like, the platform is great or the platform is dead based off that one auction, is just not what we need. So we'll talk about it here. Andy and I might put a bid in, who knows? And then Nashi will beat us to it. It'll be great. It'll be great. Anyway, uh, ZM Star said, how is meant to be played equals having fun while losing money? Spending, spending. Simo, Carrie, what's up, guys? Thank you all for coming in. So we're Malta. Inspirational Harami. Wow, that is a YouTube handle. Uh, how do you sub with Stark? No idea. No idea. Jordan, what's up? Mike Basson, wow, you got... Should I read that out loud? I'm not going to even read it out loud. Uh, Brayden, appreciate that. I was curious about this, too. Andy, you live in an Oculus now? No. I just... I, um, that's like my job. I work. I work on them. You know, like hammer, nail, screws, you oh, know, okay. how to repair them. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Anyway, thank you, everybody, for coming in. Um, Andy, I was just thinking you could have just held up like an iPad with Jizz Camp's face on it. I'm, I mean, all these great ideas from you, Laird, three minutes after the show starts. Yeah, yeah. No, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Anyway, speaking of great ideas, Nashi, not to be confused with Jizz Camp said something in this Discord that we all mix him up with, with Andy now, um, the other day about how the new SoRare roadmap and plan that'll happen in either March or August is basically what he thought SoRare should always become or what it should always be. And I was like, Nashi, please don't say any more and just wait until Thursday and say it in front of everyone else 
So Nashi, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> well, well, I do want to premise this because I don't want it to sound like I'm over here popping champagne or like, you know, a kid on Christmas, like, oh, thank you, Nicholas. This is just, just what I always wanted, you know, because <laughs> my my gallery value has plummeted into oblivion like like the rest of us. But I guess the, the point of what I was trying to get to there is that I think there's a clear split now between what we had, which so rare was, what the game was, and the new game. And they're almost two completely different things. And I think intuitively what we potentially have in the new game makes a lot more sense to me in terms of experience with games like that than the old one did. I mean, I was in the old game, I was playing what was in front of me, but there were things in the back of my mind that didn't quite make sense sort of in the mechanics of it. Um, I think from some from sort of like the poker background, um, the idea of this, you know, there's always the, I know it really winds people up when people say, oh, it's just a game. And then there's the other side of it, or is it an investment? And I think it really fits in it. You know, 99% of games don't involve winning or losing money as kind of part of success. And most investments aren't gamified. So it fits in this like rare little bridge in between the two. And there's not many sort of reference points in the world, but I think poker happens to kind of be one of those. I think DFS too, but I'm a little less experienced in that. So sort of the game investment thing is a... Uh, is, is a discussion, but I think it's this, yeah, it's in between. So I think intuitively the mechanics and the dynamics that make poker and DFS successful alluding to what someone just said in a chat about like, well, how do you get people to play a game where they're going to be okay with probably losing money and keep showing up and it working for both the company and the players and stuff like that. I'm sure we'll get more into it, but that's generally the idea. It's not, oh, I'm super happy. Like this is, you know, I'm, this is just what this is. It's more that, I can really relate to what potentially the new game could be if they get it right versus what the old game was, was something that it wasn't really intuitive to me. Like the idea that just briefly looked like a lot of the ROI or the success in the game was tied to card prices, which sort of from a mechanical standpoint made it that it was fine. We didn't really pay attention to it when everything was going up because it was like, all right, we're we're making money. It doesn't matter whether we're good at the game or we're winning at the at the game, quote unquote, because we're winning. Everyone's winning. This is amazing, you know. But in the back of my mind, maybe because poker, I said, well, this can we all be making money on these cards and yielding money from these cards, and that's just going to go on and happy ever after. Or, you know, what I mean, there, there was a little question in my mind. I wasn't smart enough to act on it, and there was. Yeah, was, was there a time? Was there a time in the poker world where the two like the two were similar, like during the poker boom, like in the early 2000s or something, like where everybody either thought they were winning or felt like they were winning or something like that? Yeah, I mean, well, no. The, the, I mean, I guess we can get into that too, but there's the sort of zero-sum nature of poker means that, you know, you, yeah, you can't, that doesn't exist. And I think the new server yeah. actually has more of a zero-sum element to it. And I can sort of, zero-sum meaning that, there has for every winner, there has to be a loser, and that's how the economy works. But there was the time in poker, and like it was just actually, unfortunately for me, before my like the generation just before me, where yeah, there the this game was growing, it was getting hugely popular, and maybe not from the game itself, but 
there was sponsorship money just flying in from ESPN. They were showing it on thing. And there was these professionals who, like a friend of mine, he won a tournament and he was in, living in his basement in the Carolinas. And the next minute he's getting offered sponsorships from, you know, they're just throwing money at him. So, yeah, there was a time in that boom where it happened. But but with so yeah, intuitively to me, that was a bit worrying. But I was on the train. I was loving it. I was I was looking at houses in Beverly Hills thinking, yeah, we're on our way there. Mm-hmm. And But what, what kind of happened on the flip side of that was once everything started going down in terms of car prices, there's people that could have been the best SoRare manager ever in terms of scouting, lineup selection and everything. And once the snowball started rolling downhill, that didn't matter. How they played the game didn't even matter anymore because if they bought in at the wrong time and the car prices, which are in our control, but mainly out of our control, we're going down. That's not a game mechanically that I think people will be attracted to in the long term. And um, I don't know if that, I don't even, like I said before, I haven't thought these thoughts out or spoke them out before, but if that makes sense, what I'm saying, that's kind of where I'm getting it. All I heard was that as card prices went up, you were like, this isn't right. And then they went down and you were like, okay, I liked it. No, I'm just kidding. The, <clears throat> I think the, the, the thing that you, like really nail, nailed in that was you could be really, really good at SoRare and depending on when you bought in, look like a failure because the values of your cards are down. And the, the comparisons to poker and DFS kind of reminded me, I used, when I did the DFS content, I used to do it with a guy named Jordan Cooper. And he always said that DFS, and he came from a poker background as well, but both of those games are basically money games that were played with other like poker was a money game that was played with cards it was not a card game that had money in it and dfs was basically a money game where you use essentially lineups and it wasn't really a lineup game and i always thought that sora was different i I didn't look at sora as a money game that was played with jpegs but a lot of that was because we won the jpegs as opposed to winning the money. And now it seems like it's a little bit more of a, maybe it's a money game and kind of like a resource allocation game, which sounds really fucking boring that like, I don't know why anybody would play that, (laughs) but the, but I agree that it it just feels like the new way makes a little more sense, but it also kind of exposes that we all can't win. And, but maybe we, maybe we needed that. Yeah, well, I think in, in from poker, yeah, I mean, the, the, the dynamics sort of at play in poker and DFS are there's a significant luck or variance element in the short term. It, and that has to be significant because if you're losing, there needs to either be an excuse or a reason that you can win if you have less of the next factor, which is skill, you know, or strategy. So if your skill edge is less, on any given Sunday, you can still win in a game of poker or a hand of poker. And that keeps losing players coming back the money aspect is what keeps people playing who maybe don't enjoy the game as much or may not enjoy the game but are looking at it more from that investment lens and they say well and that's what happened to me with poker is like i got i love just playing i was losing i was dusting my money off like my pocket money every week but then i started to realize well wow people are doing this for a living like if i work really hard for a long time and keep making good decisions and getting better and better and better there is a financial reward in this money game at the end of it. And I think with a new structure, if they do it right, 
that can be possible. And that's an exciting sort of dream to lead up to. And it's merit-based. It's not this sort of thing that they just, they kind of fell into it. I can see why there was like the slightly, the kind of like, if everything's based on card values, you basically need to ensure that you just keep bringing more people in and that's the only way to sustain card prices, right? It's, it's, it is a point. I don't want to call it the P word, but there's that, them sort of dynamics of what exists in sort of Ponzi scheme. Yeah. And almost in Ponzi scheme, sometimes they give you a little back, a little bit of money to dividends or whatever to keep you invested. And that, looking back in hindsight, like the thresholds and that whole dynamic almost felt a little like that in a concerning way, you know? Whereas now, if you look at the new game and you can explain to someone that, all right, well, if you want to play, you know, limiteds this season, Premier League, you want to play the Premier League, it might cost you a thousand bucks to build out a squad. By the end of the year, the cards are no longer complete the cash and over our data, they'll probably go down 50% in value, right? So you lose 500 bucks. You're, you're, the goal of the game is that you play these tournaments and if you're good at it, you can win. If you can win more than 500 bucks, you have an ROI on average. You're not always going to realize your sort of theoretical win rate year on year because sometimes you get unlucky and sometimes you get lucky. And there could be a guy who's supposed to lose his money because he's putting out terrible lineups, but he binks a tournament one week with a bunch of, you know, randoms and, and he wins. And that's what happens in poker all the time. And that experience, that one experience from... You know, he could lose the first two years and lose 200 bucks, lose 300 bucks at the end of the season, but say, oh, I had fun. But the one time that he has that little run, you've got a customer for life. And I think with a new model, you've got, with a new model, we don't actually need, in my opinion, more players. We don't need more players. It's kind of irrelevant, you know, because as long as they figure out how to tie the prize pools to what people are spending on the cards, Basically, whatever they take as profit, be a rate. But it doesn't matter now in terms of the... If we almost assume that the cards we have now are, are worthless, you know, for the new game, which there won't be exactly, but that's kind of a nice mental way that I'm looking at it. And the game will be the new card game. And you, you say, well, I've got to invest... As an existing user, I've got to invest some, some money to try to yield back more than that. It becomes a yield game, skill game. And if I get lucky, I might yield more than I'm supposed to. If I don't, if I get a few bad things, I might yield less than I'm supposed to this year. But over the long run, if I keep doing that, I can probably get better at a game and there is a path to making money. The path, I think, to making, you know, to having the house in Beverly Hills, I think that's off the table now, unfortunately. I don't want to be the bearer of that news. And you might disagree, but the new game, the, the, the you know, it, it's going to be a case of a lot of small losers but that's worth the that's worth the fun and the chance of winning something big and then there'll be a few people that really knuckle down and say look i'm i'm gonna get good at this you know and they can they can play and they'll put more money in as whales or as big users like for me now going into the new season if i thought all right they're going to allocate say 70 percent of the new card sales to the prize pool say so rare and i think all right well you know, I can. I think if I can, can beat the field, I might. I'm going to play limiteds at every thing. I'm going to play rares because why not? You, it's money. You know, it might be a money-driven pursuit. Whereas before, it was like it, that wasn't really there. The, the professional element, the kind of the ROI 
attached to the skill and the effort you put in wasn't really as clear cut, you know? Yeah, I think what is, what I always thought was a little weird about SoRare is they, it didn't seem like they wanted to really emphasize card prices or card values. Like it was only until fairly recently that they even really talked about it. And I remember the the first Erling Haaland auction that went for whatever the hell it went for, 265 ETH, I think it was. And there were, there was no talk of from SoRare of like, look how much we sold this for. And I think they wanted to kind of keep that, not private, but they, they just didn't want to talk about it. And then the, the problem is that that's the card values previously were the only way we knew if we were doing well. Like there's no other way to know if you're, performing well in this game without card values going up. And if they don't go up, then you don't know if you're doing well. You're just here and you're just like, wow, I keep winning and my gallery value keeps going down. Like, why am I playing this game? And being able to have like a cash element at least gives it a little clearer of a view of, I bought these cards for this and I won this. And it's not just the simple like threshold. I bought these terrible cards and this is what I, you know, I'll just grind out 50 bucks for the rest of eternity. But there is something where you can say, no, I know I'm doing well because this is everything that I've won. Yeah, no, and I think with with the, like, if so, this is why I do, you know, I use the the Ponzi word, but if so, really wanted to lean into that, they could have done that because effectively the, the prize pool is going to have an effect on what each individual card on the platform is worth at each level. So if they wanted to just pump things to the moon, they could have quickly said, all right, unique you win uniques you get twenty thousand dollars this week every week you know and uniques would have just gone bang you know and but there wasn't a you know we were all and i I know you you spoke about a bunch we were all aware that like with the threshold specifically well how can like why do we care about the finances of so rare and their balance sheet but we were thinking well does this really work i haven't put money in in ages because i haven't aid to and i'm just taking out money every week like from a business standpoint, this doesn't make too much sense to me either. That's not my problem. I'm enjoying it. I'm going to take what's in front of me. But if you said that, so going towards the prize pools is that like, if if they, they need to put a mechanism where it's easy to understand that year on year, not just, you know, we're going to change things. In, they can't just pick a number out and say, this is what this prize pool is. This is what this prize pool is. It needs to be structured in a way that is to do with their revenue to make to make us trans, you know, to make it transparent to us that, all right, well, next this year, if people spend, you know, a million dollars on Premier League cards, that need X percent of that needs to be guaranteed to go into the cash prize pool for the next one, say, you know, and that's fair. So, because then if if people if demand goes down and people stop playing and people only spend 500k on the next season ones. It's reasonable then for them to put 50% of that and the prize pool goes down, but then the card we know what the prize pool is, and the cards will the new season cards will have a value depending on what the prize pool is going into it, if that makes sense. So I I really think they need to get this right because you need a structure of the game to go into to know what you're doing. And that's something that I don't think they've done with their communication up to now, because we don't know whether you know. Simply put, if the, the 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 amount given away in each the, each of these competitions can have a significant impact on like what the theoretical value of a new season card will be, you know, and, it needs to be tied to something. 
and the theoretical value of the old season cards because with the old season cards you're competing to win the new season cards to win that cash so it's like it it all staggers down it's important information for us to know yeah exactly and i think if they if they do do it and i think they they have i mean from their point of view they should tie it to their income because that's then we've got a game for the next 10 years and then you could sit down and say well, i think i'm gonna try and get really good at this game i think there's money to be made i think people are making mistakes i think this region's softer and everyone's doing this that or the other you can start strategizing and i know them kind of things will be intuitive to you from your dfs days and poker but that's kind of how it works you try and you're trying to beat other people for your share of the pie you know and that model is sustainable whereas before it was we're going to buy a share of the pie and hope that more people just keep wanting to buy the pie and we can sell it at some point for more or whatnot if that makes sense so um i hope i'm not rambling too much because like i said when you, you i had no idea really what i was going to be talking about and um yeah verbalizing it is a little tough no no no. i think uh i think it's crystal clear i i'm gonna take us an aside here have either of you looked at where the mbappe auction unique is right now i did yeah it's a so lot andy cheated it is a lot we've had three different sower managers bid over one hundred thousand dollars which is fun Frank C. Bellema and J.R. Duke is currently at the top at just under $109,000. That's 36 ETH and change. Um, I look back, the cheapest Mbappe is 109.5 ETH, which at the time was $195,000. So we're more than halfway there to the last one. Um, I'll say these guys all have ambition for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. So what did we say? Bambi, Roxy, and Max have the existing Mbappes. And so, yeah, these guys need one. Simple as that. Uh, Laird, if you pull the server data page back up real quick, um, the ugly brown one, what's the price on that one? 64,000? 64K, which was 116 ETH at the time. Okay. So ETH was just way down or something at the time. Yeah. Gotcha. I do. I believe Pranksy was in on this auction last year. Yeah, he went up to 100 ETH, and then Bambi and Roxy fought it out after that. Um, mm. And then, so Roxy has one, and then Bambi's obviously going after, or no, I'm sorry, um, Pranksy's going after this one. So Maybe not anymore. You think he's tapped out at 35 ETH? No, but maybe. <laughs> we'll see. We've got uh, 37 minutes left, so. We'll see. What, what do you guys think about like the the role of because there's a lot of like anti whale sentiment, you know, in the in the old game because they're pay to win, blah blah blah. But and I've seen some takes that have been along the lines of, well, Pranksy's just going to buy every Mbappe on the platform, you know, and I don't see like for, like that could be good for if you're competing against. Pranksy, say for that in the Champion Europe unique division right there, and he's spending one hundred twenty thousand dollars on that card, and you know that if you're you're going to be competing, in, but 60,000 of that's going to the prize pool, and you think that you can spend twenty thousand on a card or a or a combination or a different strategy that's going to yield similar to him, but he's contributing more to the prize pool than you, so you can now actually like him buying. 20 Mbappes might not be optimal for the new for the new game. Even though he's going to win more than you, he's going to finish higher more than you. In terms of your dollar and ROI amount from what you put in, 
now the Wales become Wales in a sense that if they're playing badly, you know, and that's not to say they all are or aren't, we don't really know. But that's what becomes interesting now is like, I don't know what you think about that narrative. Oh, he's just going to buy up every Mbappe super rare. Well, if he spends a quarter of a million on Mbappe's and buys 10 of them and can only Mbappe breaks his leg and there's 150 grand in the prize pool now that's dead for the rest of us to win. That's not a bad thing. I don't think there should be resentment towards that. I mean, for me, it doesn't change anything. It's like whatever I spend, I need to try to win that back. Like, regardless of whether I own an Mbappe or not, is my goal is to win back at least the amount of money that I spend. Absolutely. So that's that's not ambition, Andy. <laughs> Winning back what you put in. Come on, double it. Yeah. I, yeah, we're here to to exactly, get rich. Exactly. Beverly yeah. Hills, man. We're trying. Haven't you been listening? Yeah. Um, Although Nashi definitely said the Beverly Hills dream is dead. So um, you want to vote anyway. Uh, but the, I, I don't know if Pranksy dropping tons of money and making prize pools bigger sounds great. And it doesn't work that way though. But it, no, it does now. Well, it, it, it would in the theoretical sense that the prize pool is a percentage of the revenue that they make. And so the more he spends, the more they can offer to other people. But that's not how it works, right? I mean, how else do they get money for prize pools? Yeah, but they're not going to tie it directly to a percentage. Like they're, That's not... They might be, internally. Maybe, sure, maybe internally. Yeah. But yeah, do I don't you know think we're going to be able to look at this auction and be like, well, next one, we know 70 grand is guaranteed because of yeah. this... But right. do you not think that would be that is possible to do that from their it's, point of view? Why is that why is that not possible? And the fact of the matter is, is you, you need clarity on these things if you want it to become a game like DFS or poker. The you in poker and DFS, they take a rake, you know, and yep. effectively, if Sora is saying, Well, we're gonna, but they guarantee the rest of the money goes to the the prize pool, and you've got to beat the other guys to not be a losing player, you know, and like we've I don't see why that's not possible from their point of view. And I don't even see why that's not incentivized. And they can, that year over year scales both up and down, which mm -hmm. is important, you know. And the fact of the matter is, is that you, 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 you're going to, you, we understand as a user base, almost to a fault late, that Sora needs to make money. We want Sora to exist. We love it. Sora needs to make money. And I think you will get people saying, well, they should only take, 30%, not 50%, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But in theory, if they set the parameters of what that was, if you think about that, that that is sustainable. I hate that word that people, but that's sustainable, you know, because it's like, well, if we get another million users, car prices will go up. They won't shoot up like the, you know, like they would. The new season car prices will go up and that should have a knock-on effect, like Black said, but they won't go up like sort of exponentially, potentially. But the prize pool will go up and the game will remain the same now. And if you're good at the game, you'll make money now. And the, the way that I think current users can think about it in an optimistic way is even though the Beverly Hills house is off the cards, it's, we, have an, we have an edge over anybody else coming in now if that's the game. you know. So if you really focus on all your experience, your scouting, your matrix knowledge, blah, 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 any newcomer into the limited division, rare division, you should be able to leverage that to potentially be a winning player. And if you're willing to put the time and work and effort in, and not everyone has to do that. If you enjoy it, if you kind of can make peace with, or oh, I'm going to play limiteds this year, 
to get to watch all the games. When I put a thousand in, I'm most likely I'm supposed to lose a few hundred bucks, you know? That's fine. That's not zero sum because it's such a fun game. It's such a fun hobby. So yeah, that's that's basically what I meant about this is the game that makes a lot of sense to me, a lot more sense as a long-term new game in this sort of arena than <clears throat> what we had before. And Kev kind of said it too. You like dream is not dead until you cash out. Well, like you haven't lost. So like let's say that you spent 500 bucks and and you only won back 300. Dream's not dead necessarily yet because you can run those in classic and you can win the new season cards the next year. So like there is that like hope and dream. Like you can be a loser, but you can keep still playing with your, you know, existing cards. Yeah. And you, you know why you're losing now. That's the massive right. You know why you're losing. And yep. so I've, I've had friends that from poker and stuff that I've sort of coerced into it and they, you know, they even they've played for a while and they still don't really know what they're doing and what they haven't got that same bug. They haven't got that same competitive thing that says, all right, like, I see what's going on here. I, I, I'm losing, but I, next year I might win or two years down the line, I might win if I get better, if I scout this guy, if I fix my strategy. If, oh, I think that everyone's playing really well in champion, but they're playing terrible in contender, blah, blah, blah. It becomes a game that is is more strategy based and there's a correlation between your results and the you know and your performance and obviously the luck as well you know and and that makes sense it's, it's simpler in a way um to me at least reminding me of basically how i played dfs that i made like enough money to just keep playing i never made enough money to do even buy anything cool it was just like oh i have enough money to keep playing so rare is almost a little easier because like once you own the cards, you can play forever. And it's so that much doesn't mean more, you're gonna be successful. It's so much more fun too. It's so much more personal, it's so much more of a positive community. And is even than poker, like it's a hobby for me. You know, it's it's I think if you stripped it away, you'd say, Wow, this is this has that's where it stops being zero sum. And people ask that about poker all the time because I host games, they say, All right, so you'll you may get X amount out of this game. That means everyone else is losing or other people are losing. Why do they show up every week? It's because they enjoy it. They enjoy it and they can win. They know they're not maybe theoretically supposed to win every time, but sometimes they win. And that one win keeps them going. They feel good. And as long as the people aren't losing money that matters to them, it's a it's a spend this, you know, and everyone can play at their level now. And I, I, yeah, I'm, I know it's a tough time and I don't want to be, the guy when everyone's sort of, you know, up in flame, you know, there's blood in the streets and being like, Oh, everything's great. Like we're all, we're all, we're everything. It's not like that. I think there's, I, I'm not too much on that. There is a, there is something that doesn't sit right with the fact that they've basically completely changed the game, which rightly or wrongly, we were all invested in one thing. And now it's completely another thing that takes a different mentality, a different group of skills, a different strategy, a different way to yield and make money and there's no quick or liquid way to pivot without getting absolutely wrecked financially you know there is something that i think is a little bit wrong with that by the same time you know i think there'll be people there that have made peace with it and say all right well what do i need to do going forward and if so i get it right there's a game there that they can really enjoy and they can win at if they get good and i think that's kind of what i meant by that makes sense for what Soria was always going to have to converge to be. Uh, part of the conversation that 
we had a few days ago in about the the new structure that you said and it was basically it it falling card prices now makes sense not and that sounds very dramatic but you were basically like i think it was in response to something about you know what do you tell people who like in who bought a bunch of cards and just get wrecked value wise and your response was basically like what is the argument that you would give someone that if they bought an Erling Haaland in August, that it should be worth just as much or more in January when you have less utility. And I think because we now have this new season, old season split, it's easier to see basically the utility lifespan of a card, at least in new season, that in August, you have the entire season to yield from it. And in January, you only have half of the season. And if that's the case, the one in January really should not be worth more than it did in August. And the new structure, at least from the in-season cash point of view, I think just clarifies that. And that doesn't mean it every card goes down. Like players you know, get new roles and they're more valuable because they went from basically providing zero utility to more. But it at least gives, gives us the, the view of if nothing changes... I'm basically buying this card early so that I can get an earlier start on getting a return from it. And if I wait, it'll be worth less and I'll just have less utility with it. Laird, do you think that they'll, uh, they'll backload the uh, prize pools to, to make people want to get into those cards later in the season and, and sustain those values? So I think they should, if only be less because of, of sustaining the values, although that's a, Wonderful. They'll make more money probably if they do that. Well, I'm just thinking of it of how many people theoretically can actually get cards early in the season. Mm. Like we don't know if they're going to change completely change the way that they, right. they do it, but it feels like they should have bigger prize pools when more people have bought cards. Yeah. That made sense in my head. You're beating more people essentially. But it's also more people have like contributed to the prize pool. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oop. Bye, Nashi. There he is. I don't know what happened there. Um, Mbappe update. Nothing's changed in 18 minutes. Max bid. Yeah, um, I think I think in, in, in when it comes to that, um, that I intuitively before when I joined, the lifespan was the whole career of the player. And you kind of knew that in a way, but it seems so incomprehensible to kind of figure that out, you know, and there was so much value was to do with speculation of not only that player, but the platform and what's going to happen and demand and supply that it, it was there. Like you knew that, all right, well, this guy, you know, this guy at 33 is going to be worth less because of the utility at, than at 28. But we didn't really care because the utility and the yield was such a small factor in our ROI at that time when it was all to do with our cards going to go up or not. It was closer to an investment where we were buying this token and hoping that someone down the line because of demand was going to buy it for more. Whereas I think by shortening the lifespan of that, of that sort of strategic tool, which is the card, which is the player you can play for the cash, you, it's easier for us to comprehend that now. 
you know, and, and, and for new players coming in, you know, if I can use the guy for half a season to win cash, there's, there's very little that would justify why he's going to be worth more in January than thing. And, and I think somebody was saying that, well, we, you know, how are you going to get people to intuitively understand where if they buy cards at the start of the season, they're going to be worth, they're going to just go down. Like people aren't going to want to join, but that's where the yield becomes more of an important factor now, because like Andy said, you're trying to, you're trying to yield back more than that. And it, I think the, I think cause we're so scarred from everything that, but I think for new people that they'll accept that that's intuitive coming in and it's transparent and it's a clearer, it's a clearer sort of structure than what we had before. Uh, so Romalto said, I think they've made the game easier for bad players and new users by making the structure more linear and refined. I see more longevity in Sora now. Um, and Anda here said the shorter utility argument is new and is a joke in my opinion. There's absolutely no reason that prices should fall this much because of 15 less games, which that I actually will disagree with because the it's not like new season cards. It's not even 15 less games. It's 15 games that we have now that and then they're not new season cards anymore and you can't use them to, i mean you can win one basic you use one to win cash like the i said this to someone earlier today that it just feels like there's a lot of money on the sideline right now waiting to figure out what people are doing and so when that happens when people aren't spending like nobody's you don't know that for cards. <laughs> what's that i said you don't know that no, I don't. No, 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 I definitely don't. But it yeah. feels like pe they're not people aren't like buying cards as much as they used to because they just don't know what they're doing yet. I think we hope I that. that having bought a card today. But we hope that we don't know that. True. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. That's fair. Yeah, but I think like it, and it's reasonable for like what I meant before about like it's not necessary that we keep grand demand is like for for us three we got lucky we got in early and basically all of our success like I was terrible at the game. And I probably still like have a lot of work to do to get better, but the we basically made money. Like I'm probably doing well, not because of how excellent I've been at playing this game. It's because I got in at the right time and got you know. We're very good at this myself, game. Please, I was please. Myself, I was <laughs> myself, Len, but um, but yeah, I think I think going um, going off of that, it's like well, you you now. Oh, yeah, like like you said, like we, we're going to know why we're winning now. We're going to know why, or if we're not winning, we know why. And there's a path to change that. You know, I got to get better. It's, it's in my hands. So, um, yeah, I lost my point a bit there. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of the – I just wanted to put that out there. One of the things you said before about the longevity of our cards basically being a player's career, that no one – we. I feel like everybody thought that uh, and used that as justification for buying cards. Like, oh, he's, you know, 18. I have 15 years of utility. But then when they go like eight game weeks and they haven't won anything, they're like, oh, well, this didn't work out. Even though, you know, eight game weeks ago, you were like, you have hundreds of game weeks to make up for this card. Theoretically, one game week could pay off, you know, that card. And yet we just need the return immediately. But maybe the cash the move to cash at least gives us a shorter time frame and maybe a more realistic one, or at least it, it condenses the difference between winning right now and winning in 15 years when that card finally comes good. 
What do you what do you think about the the scarcities too? Like, I don't know if you can think back, but like when you joined, like the, the difference in sort of prices between the scarcities and et cetera, et cetera, and the prize pools and everything, like they they're not super intuitive. Like now we kind of get them and there's like a two five two point five X difference between this threshold and that threshold, and we kind of just winged it and figured it out. And there's like, but what I don't know if you remember back, but that was one thing, that, again, that wasn't intuitive in the old Sora. It was like, why is a rare not worth, sometimes worth as much as its super rare counterpart? You know, it doesn't, it, and, and I think that there is, and this isn't, this is something I've brought forward a few times to people, and I'm not sure that I'm even right about it or it even makes any sense, but I mean, it's as good a time to any as thing. But if you're looking at, the prize pools going forward. I think what one way, rather than like the speculation, oh, there's only one of these, there's going to be loads more demand and people can only buy it off me. So the unique's going to be worth a lot more than this and blah, blah, blah. Like a, a structural way to tackle that, to make it almost that 10X thing be intuitive is to, if they do this new season Premier League tournament and the limited prize pool every weekend is $100,000 cash, right? The rare prize pool is $100,000 cash. You know, the super rare prize pool, $100,000 cash. The Eventually, in the free market over time, the prices should converge to that 10x sort of thing because you're paying the extra to compete against less people for the same amount. So, like, the, the expected value in terms of ROI will be the same, but the expected value in a dollar amount will be go up as you go up. So people can play like they do in poker or DFS to more their personal, private financial means. And what they can also do is they say, well, all right, I think, you know, I think that I can beat the game higher up and I'm going to take that risk knowing that not because I can maybe beat it for more ROI, but I can make a higher dollar amount from that thing. If I do the same as I'm doing in limited in rare, and if they don't, if they, it seems simple to me, that concept that like, it will just be an inbuilt correlation between the scarcities and the values then, because you're, you're not necessarily paying more because it's less, right? You're playing, there's a, there's a mechanism where you're paying 10 times as much to play against 10 times as less people to win the same amount of money, you know, and you can play to your stakes, you know what I mean? And that's kind of an important mechanism from poker that I don't know whether we'll translate over. I think that might be the single best idea I've ever heard. Wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to like so, screenshot this and then like, you know what I mean? It's, it go, all goes up in flames and we're- And you said you didn't prepare. No. The, the, my response to the earlier thing about, excuse me, of why like rares weren't 10 times more valuable than limiteds and whatnot is because I feel like that assumes the same number of people interested in those cards. Like the demand would follow that 10X and it just didn't. That there were many more people that wanted rares than super rare. Like it wasn't 10 times more people wanted rares than super rares. It, it was, was demand and utility. Like limited pro didn't exist, right? So like you couldn't use as many of them in different competitions right. and yeah. And, and there was a time where we could use rares in super, like you could use rares in three, like rare, rare pro, 
Like, do you remember when super rare? Remember when super rare goalkeepers were worth nothing because you could just run a rare and because you could just run a rare, yeah. And so I think the the reason why we never got kind of the consistent multiple on cards uh, as you move up in the scarcity is because we just didn't have a consistent multiple of demand. And I'm not sure we ever get there, but maybe kind of this idea of the exact same prize pools, but you pay more to compete against fewer people. Larry, the one thing that they do have now is consistent utility. Yeah. So like that's one baseline factor that they probably, you know, is I know that some people aren't happy about it, but that they probably got right because now the utility across the board is, you know, there's a baseline there. Well, it's, it's not though, because you can use uniques anywhere. You can't I use mean, uniques anywhere. I mean, I'm just saying like you, you, it's like you cannot use a limited anywhere totally outside of EV to do that, and, and you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Uniques to win limiteds. Come on, man. Um, but I do think like what what the first thing that stood out to me when the update was, and I think I said it to you guys, like, well, if you need five Uniques now, that's a pretty scary jump between the scarcities. And I'm not saying it shouldn't be. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying that was the first thing that said, wow, like, because I was almost transitioning and I've always been trying to move up. I started pretty much in rares and then got cut and I've been building up over the years. And my goal was always to get to the top just because that's, you know, that's just a personal thing. But the transition between super rare and rare in the old game was my strategy was it was I'm going to buy guys that are, have huge upside in my opinion that are just kind of like their outcomes are either going to be, I lose a bit on this card, you know, and he's kind of dusty, but then I'll whack him in 240 and maybe get some of that back. Or if what I think he can do or whatever, if I think can happen happens, I've now got a card that can actually, as you say, compete with a capital C or whatever. Yeah. And that was my strategy in moving up. And it's the only way that I could think, visualize myself because I didn't, have or want to put the money in to really compete with a pranksy or a, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, you know, an example might have been like this season that I did do was like a Lorenzo Insigne, right? No one wants a Lorenzo Insigne could transfer to Turkey to think he had an awful couple seasons. But if he gets it right, and, and for example, he could, if he got it wrong, my initial thought was if he's dusty and he goes back to Italy and he plays for Fiorentina, I'll just run him in cap 240 and try and, churn back some of them you know but if he stays in the mls he gets his act together john herman you know they sort out a team now i've got an actually elite unique which is so so hard to get an elite elite forward you know so that was that in play and and i got that before the changes obviously but now i don't know if i would have done that because the downside now is if he becomes a dusty guy it's very very risky and i need to do that on more than you know but I don't know if that, yeah, if that makes sense. Like before, there was more of a hedge bridging between scarcities because if the bets you made to get, and it could be at the same, it could be, you know, people buying their first super rare and they think, oh, this guy might have a smash season. Like if he get, or if he gets this transfer, he's going to be incredible. Or if he doesn't, he's just, uh, he's just trash. You know what I mean? So but yeah. at least I can run him in, like maybe yield something back. Whereas now that, that risk of that jump, and I'm not saying it's wrong. And maybe that's what they are doing is just separating it enough. So people who can afford to lose thousands of dollars a year 
play uniques or tens of thousands of dollars. People can afford to lose a couple grand a year, might play, you know what I mean? And people can afford to lose a couple hundred a year or a season or whatever, play, and they split up such an amount that we're all not, you know, that you kind of know what you're getting into before you get into it. Um, but yeah, that, that's kind of, kind of we've got time. I think two of the key points there is the game is more brutal. So now the game is more brutal because there's less, there's less fallback. You can't just toss a guy into cap 220 now. Um, so the game's more brutal and there's no progression. The progression is you getting your wallet out and that's progression. It's not, I can maybe win a, a unique in cap 220 or cap 270 super rare to, to get me to the next level progression. It doesn't exist. I, I disagree. I disagree with that. And I'll, I'll tell you why is because before progression was the idea that like, well, how do we get everybody? What's everyone's like, getting everybody to move up and then play at a bigger level and maybe play above their means or whatever. That's not how progression works in this game. Only a small percentage of the best people progress and you don't progress in a short amount of time. And to progress, if you don't have the money, you have to have the skill edge, right? You have to make better bets. You have to get more decisions, right? If Pranksy moves up or some comes in and he buys five duds, but then he can buy five good guys, that doesn't affect him. If Laird's like, all right, I'm, I think I'm crushing contenders in the new season, right? And he is. And he's like, every time he's winning money, he's reinvesting. I'm going to get a third team here. And he's like, oh, I think my strategy is working really well. I'm going to go into Challenger and implement the same thing. And at the end of the season, he put in, you know, $1,000 each team, just hypothetically. And he comes out with 3000 you know, and he's just crushed it. And he's a really good player and he's done well. He might say, well, I think I could implement that strategy that I'm doing that people haven't gotten to in super rares. And I've got this extra money. And maybe I have to put more money in, but I think I'm beating the game there. And there's an incentive to progress up, not because his ROI is going to be better. Maybe it's worse, but the actual dollar amount is going to be better for him. So I think the progression will look like that. I think maybe a small percentage of people will I think, be winners. Small will progress. I think we're actually agreeing right. because the progression is – you winning at the lower scarcity, saving money, and then spending that money. Yeah, and, and that's how it is. In, I don't know about DFS, but in poker, for example, and that's what I know, is like you can't, you don't go into poker and think, all right, I'm going to start out in the local 1-2 game, and in six months' time, I'll be playing the, you know, the 10-20 and just crushing it there. You know I mean? You recognize that it's going to take a few years to to build up and you're going to have to get better and you're going to have to keep every time you jump up, you're playing for more money. So there's going to be more people taking it seriously and vice versa. And, so, and that, yeah, it's more brutal, but I think in a weird way, there's, there is actually even more of a path to progression. If you're one of the lucky few or the one who works hard enough to get there. So, and I think I, I like that. I'm comfortable with that environment, like a highly competitive merit-based success environment you know and at, at the minute like there's a very and again like i understand people hurt like money's stressful and stuff but there's a very like within the so community i've never been part of a competitive game where there's such a well we what about this guy he should win and we should all be doing good and like oh what about me you know what i mean it's yeah i think it's, it's, it's weird it's really even weird. if it's even if it's harsh and brutal it's fair if they lay the parameters out and say this is the game you gotta play, and this is you fight it out to who wins. And then if you lose, they can't say, Well, Surrey made this decision and card prices plummeted. Vice, you have to take that off the table. 
you know, because that isn't fair. That isn't right. So, Speaking of Pranksy moving up, he moved up on the Mbappe auction and was subsequently outbid. J.R. Duke now at 42.69 ETH, $127,000. We've got eight minutes left, which in auction time is still a, an eternity. Um, <clears throat> so don't worry. There are a few messages in chat saying we it's Mbappe deadline time. Plenty of time. Uh, Mike said... It's how it should be working to get an edge or putting more time in to get to get it. It's how it should be. We have to compete against each other for the top prizes. Um, yeah, I think. Um, and I, I also I think, yeah, I also think with with the um, like there's other discussions about rolling locks, etc. And that I think they also have to get the balance right. Something I like about like basically the rolling locks, like not having them increases the variance, increases the luck. And I think that's good. You need enough in money games, like we're talking about, you need enough of this luck randomness factor to keep it entertaining and interesting. For You don't want it to become like chess or one of these games where like, basically if you're not dedicating your whole entire life to it, you have no shot of doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, so I understand the frustrations of the DMPs and the rolling lock. And probably for higher stakes or people who are playing it really seriously or willing to, yeah, that would make sense, but you might be sort of cutting off your nose to spite your face because if you remove that element of where, you know, Pranksy's paid bought 10 Mbappes and now he's DMP'd last minute, you know, on on paper, he's going to beat you every time with that lineup. But now you it might be your week, you know what I mean? You might only need one or two of them a year. And whereas if he could just switch him out for a Harry Kane instead that he's bought 10 of those two, that doesn't, you know what I'm saying? So I think... The point is that luck element has to be factored into the decision. I'm, I'm not pushing that like this should just be some who's super competitive. The luck element is just as important as the skill. Um, and I think there's little mechanics in so rare that that kind of nicely work that in. And, and football, soccer is a really random game in that sense too. Like mad, mad things happen, you know. So I think they've they've got this, the ingredients for a for a for a good for a good game going forward. Were you going to say something, Andy? It looked like you were going to... No. Um, <clears throat> Rouge has decided to, um, because of Mbappe, we're back. Ah. Sorry, we might be back. Maybe. We might be back. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. Um, well, have, you got, have you guys, like, what do you, have you guys thought about the new SoRare and have you started to, has it changed your opinions on your strategies or have you had any sort of ideas going forward? Because... Um, you know, I'm obviously kind of like, all right, I'm all fired up for it. But what are you? What were your guys' initial reactions? And like, have you, have you made any adjustments going forward to that? I think the difference, the only difference, is where I play, and less like I still just everything I do is to try to make my gallery and my subsequent lineups better. And the change, the only change that I feel like affected me the most was like the regional change to the new challengers and contenders. But like, I still wanted to have like the best, as as great as I could make my teams. And I, I don't, I haven't done anything to like ensure that I have new season cards, except I degened into some Premier League ones last week and that's it. But it, 
and those were limiteds and I was willing to just kind of light that money on fire. But I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel, despite me staring at my gallery and figuring out what's out there, I just don't feel like it's changed all that much because my plan was always like, just try to make the best, get the best cards that I can turn my cards into. Yeah. Um, I'm, I, I don't, I think the biggest thing for me was the regional change too. Like what, what do I need to move around? What do I need to do? But like when it comes to just like gallery stuff, the only thing I care about is trying to, to win every week. What, and, and win doesn't really mean anything. Win cards, win money, win thresholds, win, try to win a podium, try to win anything. I don't care. I'm just trying to win something every week. And that goal hasn't really changed. It's just like, how do I accomplish that now? What are the different things that I can win? Um, and so that's what I'm looking at is what can I win, um, in the, in the current and the transition down the road, how do I get to, how do I get to the point to like build my gallery to where I can win as many things as I possibly can, because I'm a quantity guy, not a quality guy. I don't care about the quality rewards. I want lots of rewards. Um, so I'm going to try to win as many things as possible, whatever that may be. Yeah. And I think like, I think it's reasonable. I feel like a lot of people, obviously they've, probably a lot of people took a financial loss recently. The card values have gone down and they're sat there. And even if they have that inkling of like, yeah, I kind of see what Surya's done here. I like, kind of like the idea of what the divisions and it seems like a fun game, but they're just so emotionally scarred from just like, oh, I don't want to put more money in. You know, I do not want to put more money in. And I think that's fine. But I think, and I think like that's, a, that's what comes back to like, you know, Rome wasn't built in a day. Like I think it's perfectly reasonable to say, all right, well, this season... I'm just going to focus on winning, you know, winning at the start of the season, winning some new season cards, maybe selling them, maybe if I go on a hot run at the start, building around them and just kind of getting momentum from the cards they've already got. So I think people are pretty apprehensive now to go because I think a lot of the trust has gone from so rare. And that's why I think it's important that structurally they almost take the trust out with like transparency about what we're playing for, what we're doing in the future, because Almost, I feel like, I, I, I was trying to think about this for myself. Like, if you came into the game, the new game, as it was, it seems like kind of a kind of a fun game. You kind of know what you're doing. You could start with limiteds and say, all right, I'm going to build a team for a couple of hundred and see if I can win. I, I know what the prize pool is. I know what this is. You know, it, but I think I'm the same. Where I'm like, I'm even, I'm hesitant. I'm, as much as I'm optimistic, I'm hesitant to, like, put more money in now just because of, yeah, because of like recent trauma, I guess, of like financial. Yeah, but also like we, you don't know anything either. We don't know what the price pools really are yet. Once we really know what those are going to look like, um, I think that that will give you a little better, um, a little more information to make a decision. Certainly helps. Yeah. Um, we're at just about a minute left on Mbappe. Pranksy is at top. At forty-four point three nine seven eight ETH, hundred and thirty-two thousand dollars and change. It seems like Bellama may may have dropped out. Larry, so it, I, I've got a hot take for you. Ooh. It's not even a hot take; it's like a lukewarm take. Oh, this I love is those. the worst Mbappe they've ever auctioned. Wow, the worst one. He's not U twenty-three. He's only in season for like three months. Um, yeah, he's the worst. Yeah, JR Duke's disagreeing. As he bids forty six point one seven three eight. Yeah, he doesn't even get his own own uh, competition for his league, um, like some of these other uni unique cards in Champion Europe. 
Um, it's the worst Mbappe ever. So you're forgetting that you can spin this? Mm-hmm, yeah. And you I can can't spin, spin any of, of the other. I can other. spin a lot of other things, Laird. You can't spin another Mbappe. You cannot do it. Where's your aesthetic uh, appreciation? Anyway, uh, Pranksy is now over 48 ETH. 143,000, which I believe, where did we get to? 195 was the last one. That's in dollars. Hmm. Um, yeah, Braden now says and it's the best Mbappe ever. You and Braden are both wrong. <laughs> uh, Julio said, why bid on it if it's a classic card in two months? I, um, I think a classic Mbappe is a pretty good card. Yeah, I worst. think it's going to be the, the card that you're going to find in new season competitions. Since you only need three uniques to play new season. Yeah. Uh, oh, J.R. Duke looked like he had it. We are now at 49.9418 ETH. Oh, and we are now just under 52 ETH. Pranksy and J.R. Duke going at it. Sora Malta is correct. It's the fir- the most 3D Mbappe ever. Maybe it was a hot take because everybody's disagreeing with me. <laughs> oh, the last PSG one as well. Wow. That sounds like one of those, if you have to explain it, then is it really worth that one? There's the last one. Yeah. Um, I just see <laughs> Nashi there looking at the numbers going up, thinking prize pools are going up. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> but how exciting would that be? That, do you know what I'm saying? Like, and you, you could, you could, I think it would sit better with people that, all right, well, yeah, this guy is playing better teams than me and he's basically paying to win, but I'm getting something back from that theoretically if I can, you know what I mean? I think like that's another thing that really didn't, you know, really hurt from the previous game was just like, all right, well, how can I win unless I just have more money than this guy, you know, in the very old so rare. Right. Uh, Pranksy wins. We got it. One hundred and fifty-five thousand four hundred and twenty-three dollars. That's fifty-one point nine three nine six ETH. That is a lot of money. Um, no, I mean that is big. And do you, do you think, like like Black said though, if they if they auction one at the start of next season, you've got to think it's got to be like you know what I'm saying. It's got. To, I, I get what you're saying there. Like it is. It's almost the worst time to buy one with the uncertainty of the price pools with, you know, I mean, if there's ever a bad time to have one, but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I, I mean, Laird made a good point. You can still run the old one in the end season because you only need three new new in season cards, but like, what's the premium difference? And I, I don't have that answer. I don't know what the premium difference between the two cards is, but um, it's, you know, it's some percentage. Um, yeah, I think the, the unique division, I mean, no one is, I want, it, we're talking about, you know, I'm sort of seeing the successes of potential of the new model, but like the unique division still becomes tough to like, just because of the scarcity of, of, there's just not enough cards to make it kind of work smoothly in a way that I can conceptualize right now. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the bottleneck of goalkeepers alone, say for new season becomes an issue like the, the pro- they can't give out that many uniques that are player. You, do, you know, do you know what I'm saying? And if it's supposed to be the most prestigious, he's spending 150 grand on a on one card. It's right. I think they have to be pretty, pretty. Um, they have to be pretty creative on how to make that make sense. You know, I haven't, I haven't got any ideas really myself. But 
yeah, David agrees that all the all these cards will be played in the new season comps. They made it easy for the unique people, only needing three new ones. It's absurd. Just kidding. Super rare. Super rare is only three, right? Too. Yeah. 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 That's not. I think like. I mean, when you think about that, you do. It just feels like goalkeepers are going to be pretty, pretty important at super rare and and above to you know because you like if you I think like there's like in terms of if you wanted to you know we we're saying our our car price is going to go up I think very few are but if you like playing the market and the speculation game you can still almost do it because if you picked up a bunch of backup new season goalkeepers at the start of the year your speculation is just you're just waiting for a you know a Allison or a Hideki injury and then you've got a new season goalkeeper which is potentially going to be like gold dust at them higher levels so i still think there's room i still think like there's cars like that that will be worth 3x more in january potentially than they were you know what i'm saying there's still room for speculation yeah. but not every single card can just be expected to just go up you know not like the good old days <laughs> yeah, the glory days Agent Cooper said, do you think Sower will auction all the uniques of the star players in August when they have maximum season utility rather than sporadically auctioning throughout the season? I mean, that's kind of the case with every every scarcity. It has uh, Uniques have nothing to do with it. Like we need all the people, all the new season cards out as much as early as possible if, if we want the maximum utility to return them with the in-season cash. Yeah, do you think it would have made sense that maybe like you know you said about staggering the prize pools weighted towards the end of the season do you think this is just come to me now do you think it makes sense for them to stagger the new card requirements as the season goes on so like you know week week one through three you only need one new season card for example and by a week you know by the next and by by the time half the season's come or the last few because then you're winning more you potentially winning more money you can buy them and you can still because it's it is a um, if unless they are just going to dump them all on the market, but there's obviously some issues with that. It, it is a bit of a um, a tough one to figure figure that out with the, especially when you get to higher scarcities. Like, how's that? Gonna, how is that going to work? Like, is it just whoever buys the first first cards for the whatever the MLS could be? Company? Yeah, if they, just win, they just win. They just win. Whoever gets their first wins. And that's not a great mechanic, is it, in terms of sort of what they're trying to go towards, I don't think. Yeah. So, um, yeah, this, 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 they can get creative. I just hope they – I really hope they get it right. And I really hope that they they recognize that this new game, as good as it could be, is kind of potentially built off the backs of a lot of people that have lost some money and love the game but have are in a bit of pain right now. And – if the idea is all right, well, we're going to build the prize pools off of revenue from the previous year, which makes a lot of sense to me. But this year, maybe something they could do is say, well, we've got this money. You're the first ones in. Maybe just give us some solid prize pools. Like that's going to be so important now for like, even if they think, well, maybe it's a loss. And like, and even if the prize pools this year were just, you know, 100K a week, say for each division, right? And we think that's good or bad. I don't even know if it is, but. And that's more than they're getting back. But but they say, by the end of the year, they say, well, what, and whatever we make from cards this year, we're going to put this amount in. And it's transparent. Even if it drops next year, I don't think if we know that, we can't really complain 
you know, if it's tired, like what I was saying. Whereas, like, I think now something that they could do, and it's not that they are us and whatever, is, but I do think they could be on the pulse with, well, a lot of people have been a little bit bent over by this quick and drastic game change. It would change the mechanics of the whole game. So I think they could lean on the side of being generous with the first season of prize pools and know that maybe they lose some money, but maybe it gets back some graces and gives us an opportunity to play the game in the way that it's supposed to be played going forward, but also get back some of the yield back, some of the money that we've lost speculating. Do you think there's any risk in them doing that? Because inevitably someone will like, we know how much they make from auctions and instant buys and we calculate, Oh, they gave away 80% this year. And then that becomes the expectation. That's why they need to be transparent. And that's why they, you need a structure. You need a structure to these games because they're already so complex. You know, these games that involve, they're so emotional. They, they involve like the decision to even play games like this is is emotional on a level and personal because you're risking your your money. You know what I mean? You're risking your, your livelihood, your, like whatever. So they need to be, there needs to be a transparent thing that we're playing. And when people are going into it and, and I think a lot of people, even the ones that complain, recognize that they love the game, but it just doesn't. It, there's there's like this fairness thing that people think, and it, and I I understand it too. Like I'm not on board with everyone should win, but I'm on board with like well the game needs to we need to know what we're playing, all go into it with the same knowledge, and then we either decide, and then if you have that and you decide to go play and you lose, you might complain and people will, but you know that's on me. Like I mean I chose to play this game and this game didn't change and this is this was a possible outcome that I lose money and it's happened and that's you know and you can't really hold Surrey accountable whereas I do think uh there's a few things that people can validly point to where Surrey have maybe not not uh, done right by some people love it let's get rich no, I'm just kidding any got anything else <clears throat> No, no. I need a nap. Yeah. Uh, Actually, do, does it feel like you got the thoughts that were in your head out effectively? Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like I didn't really have um, a clear plan or know what I was going to talk about. But I've had these thoughts for, for a while. And I don't know. I get a little bit of nervous energy and just I probably rambled on a bit. But So I do apologize if, if that. But... I hope I at least got some elements of what I was trying to get forward. And I hope it gets people a little bit excited for what's to come and in the right mindset to, to approach it. So yeah, it was, yeah, it was great to, great to chat with you boys. Yeah, no, thanks for coming on. I, to be honest, it was just, it was a, a viewpoint that I feel like hadn't been discussed enough really at all. And so, um, yeah, I just felt like more people needed to hear it and, but right or wrong, whatever, you know, I think uh, it's an important conversation to have. And I think it also gives us kind of a, a clear idea of like what what the future could look like, because we're at this point where we really have no idea. <laughs> so like we kind of know what, what is coming, but the there is a path there that I think makes sense and can kind of help explain where we sit in the game moving forward. So, yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, pleasure, boys. Pleasure. Thank you, everybody. If you could please, you know, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And um, yeah, we'll see you around.